And every act of sin is like drinking some more poison. And God says, why are you doing that? I love you. I have sent my son who became sin for you in order that you might become the righteousness of God in me. You don't have to do that. Hello and welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Crawford Lorenz. Great to be with you and a Merry Christmas. In a moment, we'll get to the third message in Crawford's Christmas series, More Than Expected. Our first message looked at the gift of hope, last week the gift of joy, and this week the gift of love. Today's message is based on one of the most recognized verses in the Bible, John 3:16. If you're new to us, Crawford has served the Lord in ministry for over 50 years. He pastored Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia for 15 years. We feature his messages given at Fellowship here on Living a Legacy. Crawford retired from church ministry in April of 2021 and now heads the organization Beyond Our Generation, a ministry leadership mentoring program. He's authored a number of books as well. And it's a special day because Crawford joins us now. Crawford, welcome and a Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to you too, Bill. Well, you've preached many Christmas messages over the years. What's the one theme that's been common in all of those, do you think? Yeah, it's just the glories of our great King, right? Mm -hmm. It's, 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 It's that God would love us so much that he would send his son, the Savior and King, in the form of a baby. Yes. That still takes my breath away. Uh, it's amazing. So the whole incarnation just grabs me. And uh, and so that's what I think about. And, and no matter what title the message is, uh, the Christmas series is, that's always the backdrop of it. And I know that you make it a point to keep that theme fresh every year. Yes. All right. Thanks, Crawford. And we'll talk more on the other side of the message. Okay. And our text again, John 3.16. Be listening for Crawford's reference to seven aspects of God's love. Let's join him now. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Most of us have categorically, including this old boy up here, most of us have no idea how much God loves us. Have no idea about how much God loves us. In fact, I think it's, uh, we, we talk so much about the love of God that paradoxically, I think it's gotten a bit pedestrian, commonplace. We have no idea of the severity of God's love for us, what all that means to us, how deep and how rich and how wonderful beyond human comprehension is the love of our great God. In fact, one of my favorite hymns is that classic hymn written in 1917 by uh, Frederick Lehman, The Love of God. And I just want to read two verses to you and the chorus. The first verse says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Now listen to the third stanza. It says, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole. Those stretched from sky to sky. 
The massive love of God. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. We have no idea how much God loves us. No idea. I don't know about you, I catch glimpses of that. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed. I'm reading my Bible and I think through what he's done in my heart and life. But my, my, my feeble human emotions cannot, cannot fully comprehend the breadth of that love for us. Jesus described it to a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a religious leader that came to Jesus by night. And Jesus gave to him in 24 words the seven aspects of God's amazing love. 24 words. We know the Bible verse. In fact, arguably, it's the most popular Bible verse uh, anywhere around. We've seen it sometimes when we've tuned on a, a golf tournament. Somebody's standing by the 18th green in the crowd, and there's this ugly yellow lime sign with John 3.16 on it. Uh, we've seen it at football games or basketball games or championship games, John 3.16. 24 words, that at least in the English translation, for God, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want to suggest that there are seven aspects of God's love. And what, what, <laughs> what Jesus was doing to Nicodemus as they were standing there by night, and Nicodemus wanted to know about life, and he wanted to know what about a relationship with God, Jesus appropriately so lodged his, his remarks and centered them around the love of God. It's as if Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, do you understand how much God loves you? Do you understand that? Well, the first aspect of the love is the power of the love, the power of his love. That's introduced by the first word, God. God so loved the world. The, the point is, who's doing the loving? You see, the difference between God's love and our love is that we cannot always act on the love or the depth of the love that we have for another person. When God says that he loves, his character and his nature can do something about and something for and everything for the object of his love. As parents, we're limited. We're human beings. God forbid your child comes down with some type of terminal disease. You'll spend every dime that you have to get, get, make sure they get a cure. You'll take them where, all over the country and, and the treatment and, and do whatever you can. But at the end of the day, you're handcuffed because you can't cure him. You can't heal him as much as you try. Your friend is addicted to something. You do all that you possibly can. You get intervention. You, you, you get sent to rehab, and you, you, you pray for him, and you do it. You, you do everything. But there's limitations on your love. God has no limitations on his ability to fulfill his love. Have you thought about that? The one who loves is also omnipotent, all-powerful. The one who loves is also all-knowing. The one who loves is also omnipresent. God can do everything about the love that he has for us. It's the severe power of his love. Secondly, there's the intensity of his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. God so dot, 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 that, so that, so that. The intensity of his love. 
It wasn't just some emotional passing feeling and look how messed up and screwed up Crawford is and well, he needs a little bit of help and I can do this for him, I suppose. But the introduction of the, of the, of the particle of the word soul suggests that God gave his full attention to the object that he loved. Not only his full attention, but all of his resources, emotion, everything to that which he loved. The intensity of his love. Um, several weeks ago, I was on a flight back from uh, the West Coast, and uh, I, usually, um, I usually use time on airplanes to get work done. And, uh, but I don't know, I must have been caught up aboard, so I, I watched a movie and so I watched this movie. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Kidnap. It's an incredible movie. It's about uh, this single parent who's playing with a little boy in the park. And uh, she's playing there in the park. And, uh, well, he's playing there in the park, and they're having a great time together. And so she slips away just a little bit to take a call. And that's all it took for these people to abduct her son. She turns around and looking for him, looking for him, and out of the corner of her eye, she recognizes him as he slips into this car and they're driving off. And the rest of, this, the, rest of the movie, I mean, it's a real thriller. It's about this woman on this incredible speed chase running down these people to get her son back. Nothing else matters but her son. And she goes all lengths to make sure that that boy comes back. That's a little silly illustration, but the intensity of her love drove her to do whatever she had to do, including put her own life in danger. So it is with God. God so, so loved the world that he gave his son. Thirdly, there's the object of his love. God, the power of his love, the one who's doing the loving, so the intensity of his love, so loved the world the object of his love. Now, that is to be taken when you read the world there. He's not talking about the environment, and God does care about the environment. That is not, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about birds and trees and fish and animals and this kind of thing, and, you know, can we all get along? He's not talking about that stuff. In fact, verse 17 helps you to understand what he's talking about by that expression, the object of his love. It says, for God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He's talking about the individuals in the world. You see, the point is, hear me on this, God does not, does not love the world because the world is so good. God loves the world because the world is so terribly bad. This is a remarkable verse. He says, God so loved the world. The messed up folks in the world, and we'll see this a little bit in a, in a second here, the messed up folks in the world, those who could not help themselves, those who are alien, alienated from him, yes. That's who God loves It doesn't make any difference what you've done or what you thought about, what mistakes you've made, what intentional message you've gotten yourself into like we all have. There's nothing that you can do that will ever make God stop loving you. Now think about what I just said. There's nothing you can do to ever make God stop loving you. The one who has all the resources to change us. The one who can do something about our predicament, can something about our condition. God so loved the world. And I really believe, I know this is speculation here, that, that's the reason why I didn't get more specific. All the mess, 
all the screw-ups, all the inconsistencies, all the lame excuses. God so loved the world. So you have the power of his love, right? You have the intensity of his love. You've got the object of his love. But fourthly, you've got the extent of his love. For God, God so loved the world, what did he do? Did he just sit up there and weep and mourn and have a pity party and frustrated? Why don't they respond to me? Why don't they? What did he do? What did he do? What did he do? Remember I said, remember I said, God, God, God is the only one in the universe who can do, who can act on what he loves. He can do something about us. So what did he do? The extent of his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loved us so much that he hurt himself to help us. And not only did he hurt himself, that's, that's terribly understated. Terribly understated. One of the great theological mysteries, you're going to think I'm, I'm a heretic here, but I'm not. God killed himself in order that we might live. Jesus actually died on the cross in our place and for our sin. Oh, what love. Oh, what love. I've got a friend of mine whose son suffering kidney failure and needs a kidney transplant. Well, his dad took the test, no brainer. His father is going to give him his kidney. Ain't a dad, ain't a, ain't a parent in here that, would, that we wouldn't even think, we wouldn't even blink on that. We love our kids. Here, take part of me. If I die, I die. They live. Not one parent in here would even, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't even phase you. But my illustration breaks down because that's what a dad is doing for a son. But I don't know anybody in here who would give up their child for somebody else. And yet that is exactly the extent at which God went to solve our sin problem. And see, those of us who hang around church all of our lives, we're handicapped when it comes to this stuff I'm talking about because we've heard it so much. It loses its impact on us. But can you fathom what God did? The extent of his love. So when Jesus is on the cross and says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our sins were placed on him. And because of that, his communion with God was broken. And then there's the motivation of his love. Why did he do this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That was his motivation. And the idea of perishing here is, is you, you, you got to see it in, in different ways here. It is the idea of what, what initially belonged to me is going to perish. See, the, the whole idea of creation is that in the beginning, God created man and woman. He created us to mirror the relationship that he had 
with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that inter-Trinitarian love relationship. So when we were created in their image, it was to mirror that relationship and that harmony and to experience it in the world. And, the, and, and there was not to be any gaps between this relationship and this relationship. We were at one with one another. Then sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, it fractured that relationship. And death became our heritage. And God is saying, I move toward you because I want you back. I want you back. And the whole inference is should not perish also implies that it doesn't want you to, doesn't want you to keep killing yourself. See, God doesn't have a sin problem. We have the sin problem. And every act of sin is like drinking some more poison. And God says, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? I love you. I've provided for you. I have sent my son who became sin for you in order that you might become the righteousness of God in me. You don't have to do that. I love you. Then number six, there's the gift of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life goes into, it's in two dimensions. We have eternal life right now. You don't, have etern- you don't get eternal life when you die. We have it right now. And it's not, in a sense, it's not, it's not a, a totally delayed gratification that we enjoy that life right now. In fact, that's what Jesus meant over in John, when he said later on over in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I've come that you might have joy unspeakable. I have come that you might taste in this life what it means to be rightly related with, to me and you might know a joy that this world can't give you. I want your life to be overflowing with purpose and meaning and with the supernatural presence of God himself. That's the reason why the Spirit of God is given to us. And his love, it says in Romans, is shed abroad in our hearts. It just flows from us now. Oh, what love. But also eternal life means literally to be with him forever. When you trust me, I'm giving you this gift. No man can pluck you out of my hand. Sorry, sorry. What God delivers does not rush back into the water. You're saved forever. So I'm gonna give this to you. But the seventh and final aspect of God's love really is a response to his love. You notice I sort of skipped over that because it, 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 it logically comes at the end. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him. Now, believing in him is not adding Jesus to, to your lifestyle or adding Jesus to whatever you want to do or whatever you want to be like. Frankly, we've got too many complacent Christians, too many Christians that just sort of add Jesus to 
what in the world else they want to do and kind of selectively run to him. That's not the belief that he's talking about here. The way to experience this love, the way to know this transforming love is to say, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and I believe that Jesus did what he said he did, that he died on the cross in my place and for my sin. God wants his love not to be some distant thing that we talk about, but an ever-present reality that we experience. We can know God's love. And all we have to do is to turn from our sin and to trust Jesus, to believe in our hearts that he is the Savior. I'm going to ask you at this time, if you would bow your heads with me, I want to ask you, have you trusted Jesus alone? Have you ever said to him that I need you? Have you ever asked him to really forgive you and cleanse you of all your sin? If you've never done that, or perhaps you did, but you didn't know if you really meant it, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer along with me. No, not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart and mind. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for coming and dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin, and I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. If you really meant that, Jesus Christ has come into your heart and life. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believe in his name. What a wonderful Savior, amen? amen. And what a great God that he is. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace, and thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for sending Jesus as the declaration of your love for all of us. Oh God, may we every day celebrate that love by worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. And that's why Jesus came at Christmas. It was a rescue mission to give you and me an opportunity to have a relationship with a holy, righteous God. And Crawford, God's love is a personal gift to each one of us. Yeah, it is. And uh, you stop and think of the incredible way in which our Savior has blessed us. And you can almost go to any spot in the Bible. And uh, Jesus is the backdrop of everything that's written in the Scriptures. And you can see we don't bootstrap the Christian life. Mm -hmm. that, that He's our Savior, not, not just in terms of when we trusted Him as Savior and Lord, but he is our Savior today. Mm -hmm. He continues to bless us. He continues to meet our needs. He continues to provide for us. And our hearts should be filled with holy gratitude. Yes. Crawford, thank you so much. And again, Merry Christmas. Yes, and to you too, my dear friend. Well, if you made that decision to follow Christ, please let us know about it. Contact us through the website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. We'd love to welcome you to the family of God. If you weren't able to hear all of today's message, listen on our website anytime. Look for the past programs link at livingalegacy.org. Well, next week we begin the year looking at how to navigate life's challenges. Seems like a timely study. Hope you'll join us. 
I'm Bill Davis, and from all of us here, have a worshipful, meaningful Christmas. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.